Engaging Leader Podcast, episode 51, featuring Julian Smith, author of The Impact Equation. Does your leadership inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, leaders. You and your team likely have ideas from time to time that you think would make a difference in the world. But How do you get your important ideas to spread, to engage a larger audience to see them, act on them, and even join a community around that experience? Perhaps more challenging, how do you create a trustworthy human brand when the world seems to be relying on digital channels like social media that actually reduce our physical closeness to others? To help us answer these questions, our guest is Julian Smith. Julian is the CEO of Breather, an on-demand space company. He's also the New York Times bestselling author of three books, including his latest, The Impact Equation, which was co-authored with Chris Brogan. Julian has been an author, a CEO, a professional voice actor, a radio broadcaster, and a consultant and speaker at some of the largest corporations in the world, including Microsoft, American Express, and Heineken. Julian Smith, welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast. Well, thanks for having me. Julian, what's the main point of the impact equation? Uh, The purpose of an equation like that is that most people have good ideas or at one point have had at least one good idea. And the problem is that they don't know how to communicate them and they don't know how to refine those ideas and they they don't know how to spread those ideas. So even their best ideas reach no one. And so fundamentally, it's a problem with, like, let's say, friction or something like that, where the people that come up with great stuff don't know how to get it out there. And then you have a bunch of people that are really good at communicating and all the rest of the stuff, but they're communicating garbage. So I'm trying to uh, level the playing field. And that's what we tried to do with that book. So part of the equation, of course, is having a, a decent idea that's actually worth spreading, worth sharing. But then there's a lot about how you go about doing that that's important, too. Yeah, absolutely. So you have different aspects to the equation, which is like, first of all, the sort of human aspect of the thing, which is how do people receive your message? Are you trusted? Like that kind of thing. And then you have other parts of it, which are related to the core idea itself. Like, is is it defined and different from the landscape that it is inside of? Is it articulated clearly enough so that anyone can understand it? That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So you have an actual equation in the book that explains that. Can you, can you share that equation with us? Sure. I mean, basically, it expresses the word create. The C is contrast. So contrast is the part where you look at, at the idea itself and you say, uh, okay, that idea is good, but in contrast to the remainder of the field, is it good enough? Is it, does it stand out enough? And then you have R, which is reach. And reach is, is how many people can I communicate with and how many people can I have access to? And then you have uh, E, which is exposure, which means how often am I reaching my people that I can communicate with? And then you have A, which is articulation, otherwise known as clarity, like how simple is my message and does it spread well? 
then you have T, which is trust, which is how often or how, how much do people trust me. And then the final E is echo, which means how much can people relate to me emotionally. Another way of referring to echo would be intimacy. How much do people like me fundamentally? And those things express the majority. I think maybe I think I think all of the factors as to whether or not a message gets through. And so when we designed the book, we thought, well, plenty of good ideas out there by plenty of good people. These are the problems that they're having. And that's how we built the book. Yeah, I have to say, it took me a long time to read the book, not because it wasn't a great book, but because you have so many really cool examples in there that I hadn't heard of. And so I got sucked into you know, the, the, the Dollar Shave Club and, uh, and then their, their follow-up uh, after that, the... Uh, Oh, the the wipes uh, product. Now I can't remember the name. One one wipe Charlie's, and I had to go tell people about that. And and it's a it's a fun book to read, and you've got with, with all these great examples in it. And I thought it'd be really cool in our discussion today to kind of help our audience understand each of the aspects of the equation. If we could walk through a very real life example that's happening right now, and that's you launching your company Breather. Can you tell us what 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 is an on-demand space company? <laughs> that's great because that's that, that's what's in my biography, right? So it says on-demand space, and then you're asking yourself, like, what does that even mean? Uh, the, so so what Breather is for those uh, of you that haven't heard of it, you can go to breather.com to get an idea of what the company is. But Breather is essentially a place, a uh, website, or an app where you can go and get space for where you are right now. So uh, fundamentally what we do is we find empty space in cities all over uh, North America, Canada, and, and now even in Asia, seems like. And basically we grab that empty space and turn them into nice rooms that anyone can open with a phone. So normally the base technology that allows all this to happen is sort of the digitization of the, of the key or the key in the lock. So once you have an electronic lock, you don't need a real key to open it. And that allows us to open not just one door, but like 500 doors across all kinds of different spaces. So then here you are walking down, you know, Broadway in New York city and you have to sort of spend a, an hour working on a presentation before your big meeting. So you could sit at Starbucks or you could go to your office if you happen to be by your office, but very often people aren't and they don't have a third option. So basically Breather gives you private space right now that you can rest or work or meet people in and you can do it at any time in any city eventually. I just think that is brilliant. I can't tell you how many times I've been in that exact scenario, either in a, a city where I'm traveling or even in my own city, and I just want to get a, have a change of space and have a quiet place to work. And I, the way as I've heard you describe the idea, how it kind of came to you, in, in particular as, as having a bit of an introvert uh, aspect, that even if you were to, let's say, hey, I'm going to go check in somewhere, you've got this whole kind of extroverted experience of having to interact to get into that space. It's a, a complicated kind of process. And, and the idea of just going on your iPhone, looking up, see what's around you, uh, making a reservation and just walking in, not having to talk to anybody and just waving your phone in front of a door. That's just brilliant. Dude, you don't even have to wave your phone in front of the door. You just have to press a button and it wow. unlocks the door for you once you've reserved it. It's, it's, it's honestly crazy. But once you get used to it, you'll be like, I could never have lived without this. And you'll go to a city that doesn't have breather and you'll be like, wow, this city is backwards. 
And you'll be right because the world has fundamentally sort of curved itself around you in a way that it couldn't before because of the fact that you couldn't – just the simple change that you couldn't open a door without a key. And now you can. changes everything. What kind of spaces are these? Mm, so we, we – I mean, Breather can fit what it – what Breather is designed to do is it's designed to fit into the cracks of cities, which mm-hmm. is to say all the spaces that people have forgotten about. And that means a lot of different things. It means sometimes like a workspace that's small and that um, they don't have enough people to fill. So it's a private room and you can just walk in there, put a lock on the door and, and access it at any time. Sometimes it means um, space that landlords have literally carved out and have forgotten about because they're mostly carving out spaces for 2,000, 3,000 square feet. So you're, you're left there with a couple hundred extra square feet. And, and as an owner of a building, you forget about that space. And then sometimes it's empty real estate, like that's storefront type space. And sometimes it can, it can fit anywhere. So the point is, is to fit them wherever there happens to be empty space. We can install them and uninstall them really quickly. So at any time... Uh, you could open the app and have access to any number of spaces around you. You choose one, you reserve it, and you use it. And then you walk away like you never owned it in the first place. <laughs> and what uh, what's the current status of this launch? Actually, the whole system already works. Internally, uh, we have an iPhone app. It works. It unlocks a lock that we're getting the first of in literally a few days. This technology uh, when you think about Twitter, Twitter is based on SMS, right? It's based on text messaging. Mm-hmm. So without the layer of SMS, Twitter would never have been sort of conceived of. And in the same way, Breather depends on this technology of locks that just came out. But normally, maybe it would take a long time for someone to say, oh, uh, you know, we're going to unlock 100 doors with, with this app. But I don't know why. I guess I, I had the good fortune of coming across this and threw it at some, good, at some smart people, and they said, they said run with it. So then here we are. We've just uh, finished sort of a deal, uh, raised a million and a half dollars, and, and we're, we're running with it in a serious way. So, I mean, basically you're looking at all kinds of different spaces, and all we do is we make sure that they're nice for you so whenever you're ready, you can go in. And our discussion here will air in mid-August. What cities do you anticipate this being available in at that point? So at this point, if you're looking at mid-August, you're only going to have us off-Broadway. So you won't. when I say off-Broadway, I mean the same way that, uh, that Broadway shows are off-Broadway. <laughs> they test somewhere else to make sure they work out the kinks. But then once you get into like October, November style, uh, you're going to get see us in major metropolitan cities. Depending on how uh, – it might actually it, – it's rolling out a lot faster than we anticipated because people just email us and say, I have space. And uh, so if we can execute on it fast enough, there might even be two or three major cities that you would know the name of within a few months. And, uh, and basically, it's about working out the kinks because the system has to be really effective for everybody to use it. So that's what we're focusing on right now. Okay, so back to the impact equation. So this is no longer just theoretical. We're talking about you have an idea, you're launching a business and you want this idea to spread, you don't want to do a ton of traditional advertising, so you, you're hoping that it'll spread by word of mouth, by sharing. How, how does this fit with the impact equation? Okay, so this is great because I've actually never been asked this before. So we can go through it live right now and see what happens and see whether or not it fits with uh, the way that I've we've written about in this book. Like I designed the equations and I also pretty much 
thought of this thing. So hopefully it should work. <laughs> but uh, but I'll, I'll tell you the first part. The first part is uh, we didn't talk about this when we talked about the equation, but contrast is a multiplier. And mm-hmm. the more your uh, idea con- contrasts with the remainder of the field, the uh, the better you do. So, I mean, you can judge it yourself, but it seems to me like when you're looking at something like this, uh, when you look at the real estate industry, it's radically different. It literally takes component pieces of the real estate industry. It separates them into their smallest parts, and then it sells those parts independently through an iPhone app and half hour at a time or whatever. And so it's a radical rethinking of, of how real estate works. And then from the side of technology, it is different because of the fact that it interacts with the real world. It's not a social mobile application. It's something else. It's, it's looking at something and saying, how can how is software going to interact with the real world? So on both sides, it works quite well. Uh, let, me, let me ask a question here, though. If I'm remembering right, contrast is not just about being different. It, it is about being radically different, but it also has to have enough of a similarity so that it, it connects with either something that people already know or maybe that they think they know or that, gee, why didn't I think of that? There, there's got, right? And, and, and it, so it depends on who you talk to when you, when you get it. That's a, that's a very good point. And contrast, the reason that's the case is because when ideas are too radical, I like to, th- I like to say it this way. If you're about six months in the future, then people think that you're a visionary or something. But if you're two years in the future, people think you're crazy. Mm-hmm. So you have to be just the right amount in the future. Well, you have to be right also, but you can't be too far. And so people have seen ideas like this before. They've seen ideas that, that could conceivably compare to this. And one of the most comp- things that compare, they compare it to automatically is Airbnb, and another one is Uber. So Airbnb, a lot of people have heard of it. It's a very big company. And then Uber is more of an up-and-comer, and it reinvents the taxi industry in the same way that we're talking about. So mm-hmm. people usually, especially like venture capitalists, they like to make those comparisons. They say, oh, that is going to work the same way as this worked. So this company works the same way as Zipcar works, except it's not cars. It's space that's already there. Yeah. Other than that, it, it compares quite well to those things. So the thing that I hear the most often is, is a comparison to Airbnb. And then we, all we have to do is say, yes, like that, but here's the difference. And even if there weren't a product that was real similar, there was an obvious need that people have been filling for years. I can remember 10 years ago going to coffee shops and seeing, I didn't see anybody else working on laptops and trying to get work done. But now you go out and there's there's most of the people in a given coffee shop are are obviously using it as an alternative workspace. So the it, you know is that really the best place that they want to work? Well, no, it's just kind of the only thing in that type of nature. So I, I it seems like you got a huge demand there that is going to immediately get what you're offering. Right, which is why the job. Thank you. I, I'm glad you think that. Uh, which is why the job is not actually. Thank God. The job is not actually about convincing people they need this. It's more like convincing them that it exists. Mm. And and so already, if an idea is clear enough and decent enough, you can see you can. This is actually spelled out in the book quite clearly. If an idea is already decent enough, a lot of the stuff makes it way easier. So all you're trying to do is remove obstacles. And one of the obstacles is, is this sounds like everything else. Like you know, I uh, as I'm sure a lot of people receive this kind of like business idea, they'll be like, well, it's like Facebook, but for grandmothers. And you'll be mm-hmm. like, it's just not going to work, bro. You know, like, it's, 
I, you know, you're, you seem like a nice guy, but the reality is, is that something needs to be different enough that people say, whoa, and without saying, uh, you're crazy, let's put you in an institution. So <laughs> in my, on my perspective, from my perspective and from the perspective of about 10,000 people that are sitting on our mailing list right now, um, you, this is an idea whose time has come, let's say. And then we could run through the whole equation. Yeah, tell us about reach, because you, you mentioned of the number of people that there, that's, a, that's an obvious transition. So, so we, built, we built reach. When, when we talk about reach, yes, there's 10,000 people on this mailing list, but the real question is why? Mm-hmm. And the answer is, is that before this, we've been building an audience on the web, I mean, primarily through blogs or whatever, and, but also through networks. Like I know a lot of the people who have hundreds and of thousands of followers or millions of followers. So that about of reach makes my job significantly easier. So I don't just come up with this company. Nobody has heard about it. I come up with this company, launch it at one of the biggest web conferences in the world. And then a lot of my major investors are people sitting on a million followers who all love the idea and are willing to tweet it out to everyone. Right? So what I'm doing is I'm multiplying the effects by uh, making it very simple to talk about and then saying, and they invest in it, so they want to be involved. So I'm sitting on probably 2 million people that, that could be followers of this idea. And that's the kind of thing that you're talking about. You're talking about finding different ways to reach a lot of people. And if you don't begin building an audience, even now, starting with one person, when you don't know what it is you're going to be talking about later, like I didn't know I was talking, going to talk about Breather right now, a year ago. But now that I am talking about it, I'm really happy I had 50,000 people on my blog reading it all the time with a million people a month looking at my website, right? Like, mm-hmm. that's the kind of thing that you have to plan ahead. And it, it seems like most people would say that this is the big unknown. Like, they almost want to just throw away the rest of your equation and just say, well, just tell me about reach. How do I get more followers? Right. Yeah. And that's important, except you can fake all that. And the reality is, is there are people with a million followers that have very little true influence in the real world. And this is why you'll find it really interesting that sometimes there'll be some dude with 100,000 followers. And at the end of the day, you know, you'll notice that any celebrity has more followers than this guy. And so you, you ask yourself why that is. Well, the celebrity is more fundamentally interesting mm-hmm. than some guy who's just gathering followers. So you can be someone in a basement gathering a bunch of followers, but you better be damn interesting. If you're damn interesting, it'll make it much easier for you to gather those people. So mm-hmm. never mind trying to put the number up. Try to make yourself more fundamentally worth following. That is the actual key thing, not the numbers. And it seems like the rest of the impact equation is going to help you with that. So if you're doing everything else right, the reach is going to come. It, it is a metric that you probably should keep your eye on to make sure you, you're doing some things right. But it, to, it seems like most people just focus on reach. But if you focus on everything else, w- would you say that, that the reach will come? Yeah, it seems that. It, like, it, it, of course, you have to... That you have to be deliberate about gaining audience. You have to be more aggressive than you thought you would be. You know, you, everybody hopes that they're going to be uh, grabbed from the checkout aisle and say, oh, I'm going to put you on the next Transformers movie, you know, or whatever, which is what happened <laughs> to Megan Fox, I think. But, but the reality is, is it's not going to happen that way. You have to be deliberate about it. So just to like, we'll clear up the rest of the equation really quickly, mm-hmm. exposure, how often do you reach your people? You communicate with them regularly so they always know that you exist, which we've always done with Breather. But before that, I did for almost 10 years on my website and et cetera. 
And then you go to, to art, articulation, which is how clearly you express the idea. And you just saw me do that. You said, what is on-demand space? And then I ex expressed an idea. And hopefully, if you're listening to this, it makes sense to you. And if it didn't, then you know, find another way to do it. And the marketing message, articulation is about positioning, which is a really well-known concept in, you know, that they teach in, at MBA when you're getting an MBA. Basically, they're talking about how do you position yourself in relation to the market and how do you express that? So for us, we talk about peace and quiet on demand. And so if I were just to say to you, oh, here's an idea and you can just rent office space whenever you want, you'd be like, but that's great, but I don't give a shit. pardon my language. Mm -hmm. but, what you, but if I say to you peace and quiet on demand, you'll be like, oh, ma'am, there's sometimes when I really do need peace and quiet. And so it's all about how the, the person is receiving that idea in relation to everything else that they see. How clear is it? And another way of saying that is, is like the mix has to be able to receive the ball, you know? And if it, if you, it's, you design some, you design something that will be easily received and that's what we try to do. And then you'll look at the other two pieces, which are trust. Trust has a lot to do with design. It has to do with who is sending the message. And then finally echo, which is the emotional version of it. And the interesting thing about breather is that from the perspective of intimacy or echo, this is for those people who know that this service exists, it is a deep-seated need to go out and just go somewhere and not talk to anyone. And, mm -hmm. and the ability to do that is worth a lot of money. Now, thankfully, we don't charge a lot of money, but the reality is, is that people are out there going, if only I could get a place to sit down, if only I could get a place to lie down, if only I could take a nap somewhere right now. Some people go out and actually rent a hotel room to do those things. And so mm -hmm. now they don't have to. It seems challenging to me so far when I've seen the the website presence for breather that the the trust and the echo part of that seem like a, a harder uh, connection for me and maybe it's because trust and echo it, trust seems to be about uh, people and who's the who are the people behind this and if, if I just go to your website and didn't already know you why would I trust you and similarly, Echo is all about an emotional experience, and it feels like th that that doesn't that need to have people involved. And, and so, is it possible that you still can hit those correctly without the, the the personal nature of it? It's interesting that you say that. I totally agree with those two points. So, trust takes a long time. Trust actually has its own equation, which is how we designed this thing. We designed it around this thing called the trust equation, which was made by a bunch of Harvard MBAs about 10 years ago. And it was made because concepts like intimacy and, and authenticity and self-interest were all really vague kind of woo-woo uh, <laughs> things to talk about, right? Mm -hmm. And so what they did is they made an equation to take all the woo-woo-ness out of trusts. And uh, that turns it from something that's magic or, and hard to explain to something that's fairly easy to explain. And one of the things about trust is it just over time, it just builds by itself unless it's destroyed. So you just know someone for five years, you just know it's going to be easier with them for a number of different reasons. And so you're right. Breather is right at the beginning of that. But what it can do is it can make sure that the design is great. It can make sure that the user experience is just so, so that it feels like something that's been a long time. Mm -hmm. Now it hasn't, but 
it can do a good job at quote unquote faking it. Like we're, obviously we don't betray users trust when we get it. When they come into the room and they leave and if they're happy with that, then we've satisfied the expectation, but we could just as easily screw it up by, uh, by having something not be where they wanted it to be. And so that would destroy it. That said, trust takes a really, really, really long time. But the good thing about having high trust is when you get to that level, uh, you, you become the status quo, the same way that Starbucks is the status quo. And it's very difficult to change this, to, to, to unseat Starbucks from their coffee position. Mm -hmm. And in the same way, in the future, if Breather works properly, it would be very difficult to unseat us from the quiet position or from the on-demand space position or whatever you want to call it. And then the final one, you're talking about Echo, you're absolutely right that there's no people. But what we do is to, to sort of work with that is we don't just make it a space that's nice. We also leave messages inside the space. And we, we put messages on the app that, are, that have a sort of high personality to them that you can relate to. So you feel like it's human. You don't feel like it's a mechanized thing at all. You feel like it's like, ah, oh, like when you arrive in a hotel room and there's a little personalized note on the, on the bed, you feel good about it, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's right. One of the things that you talked about is articulation, and both that and contrast. In your book, you group those under the the sub, uh, the, I guess the uh, part of the book called ideas, and you have some really fan, fascinating exercises in there that really I think force or at least encourage people to think differently about what they're doing, about their business or their ideas, and um, that so you'd think differently about it because otherwise you, like one of the examples in there is you're, you're talking about how a, an accountant, what, how, do you, how do you differentiate yourself as an accountant? And, and you've got different exercises, but some of it is just to surprise people and be a little aggressive and say, well, we're, the, we're so good at accounting, we do your taxes in pen. And have you gotten a lot of uh, feedback on, on those exercises? If so, which has been the most popular? That's a really good question. So the, obviously, there were two authors on the book for anybody that doesn't know. Uh, there was me and there was my co-author, Chris Brogan. This is a second book that we wrote together. And, uh, and this section that you're talking about, this ideas section, is a section that, uh, that I wrote more thoroughly, whereas other sections that were written more thoroughly by Chris. So it's good that you're asking me about it. Um, the reality is, is that everybody needs to go through a self-examination process in order to be able to define their problems and, and how they're going to solve them and things like that. And the problem is, is you're thinking in your head, but you're so distracted that you'll come across something and be like, how am I going to solve that? But you don't have a conversation with yourself. Like, so what I do every day is I free write, literally in, I, I write a page every day in a notebook. It almost allows me to kind of have a conversation with myself, which allows me to think out my own problems. And like these exercises that you're talking about, you need to do this self-examination process inside of your, uh, inside of your own idea to be able to express it and clarify it and things like that. So one of the things that we do, I mean, there's a lot of exercises, but the one that comes to mind right now is you're doing a positioning exercise where you're trying to define whatever your identity is. And so what we do is we say, okay, let's say there's three people that you greatly respect. And I think, you know, in the book, I don't remember who I wrote, but let's say that I wrote Marshall McLuhan, 
maybe Seth Godin and something like Tony Robbins or something like that. It's Mm -hmm. since changed a lot, but that's probably, it's kind of embarrassing. I'm saying that actually, but it's, uh, (laughs) that's the kind of thing that I would write at that time. So, uh, you would look at those and go, Oh, okay. So I'm not quite this guy. I'm not quite this guy. and I'm not quite this guy, but I'm in the middle. And so what it allows you to do is it allows you to sort of identify where your direction is because it's hard for you to know yourself effectively. So basically, I mean, these things might seem trivial or trite or whatever, but the reality is, is that we need direction and exercises. You could look, go look at Edward de Bono books for this. Edward de Bono is this very um, well-known academic that invented the term lateral thinking to get basically using tools to make you think clearly. And there's a lot of people talking about this right now. Daniel Dennett, a lot of philosophers and so on saying, Thinking is not effective without tools. So those are just a few of them that we have in the book, but there's hundreds, hundreds more that make things clearer for you. You should go seek them out. They're amazing. Edward de Bono, Daniel Dennett, go look for those things. Yeah, I would agree. I, I did some of the exercises myself uh, and found it just to be fascinating and tiring just to think of how much really deep thinking needs to go into doing a good job with something like contrast, which, as you said, it's probably the most important part of the equation. It's a, it's a multiplier. Julian, where can people find out more about you and your work? It's pretty simple. You can, Obviously, you can go to breather.com, and that's where you would find out about what we're working on, which we think is a huge thing, and just sign up with your email address, and we'll let you know more about it. And then the other option, if you want to go find out more about me, is you can go to my blog, which is inoveryourhead.net, and go and click on uh, most popular or click on new or whatever it is. And you get a whole impression of, I think, a thousand articles that I've written over the past 10 years about all kinds of subjects, including these ones. And uh, you feel free to drop me a line or whatever, anytime, no matter what. The book is The Impact Equation. The new company is Breather. Julian Smith, thank you for joining us today on Engaging Leader. Thank you for having me. And we'll put the information that Julian shared in our show notes for this episode, which you can find at engagingleader.com forward slash 51, as in episode 51. The impact equation is impact equals create. That is C for contrast times reach, exposure, articulation, trust, echo. Well, leaders, that wraps up this episode. Again, we've, as you can imagine, we've just scratched the surface of everything that is in the book, The Impact Equation. It's all about how to build ideas, how to move them through a platform so they will be seen and discussed, and how to build a strong human element around those ideas so people will actually know that you care about what you're doing and about them participating in it. If you liked this episode, please consider sharing it with other people you know. You can do that on Twitter, where I am at Jesse Leahy, and you can do that on Facebook, where we are at facebook.com forward slash engaging leader. And consider leaving us a written review, just a sentence or two, uh, on iTunes, which is the by far number one place that people find out about podcasts like this. And we have over 60 people who have done that for us. We greatly appreciate it. Just because there's 60 doesn't mean we don't need more. The more reviews you have, that really makes a huge difference in helping new listeners discover the show. If you're willing to do that, we will point you in the right place if you go to engagingleader.com forward slash iTunes. Thanks for joining us for this episode, leaders, and thank you for all your support.
Engaging Leader is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm where my colleagues and I partner with mid-size and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Find out more at AspendaleCommunications.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, James Marler, our sound engineer, Cliff Ravenscraft, our podcasting advisor, Dustin Hartzler, our website engineer, J.J. Leahy, our video and web intern, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Christopher Seal, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, whether you realize it or not, you are always communicating and leading. Let's make the most of our opportunities to engage the people we care about.